Well, this morning I want us to take up where we left off somewhat last week as we talked about the good news matters. Uh, what great conference this week that Bible Doctrines to Live By put on, and, and I hope many of you had an opportunity to listen and to view that over, over the internet, uh, Joel and, and Paul and Matt, the guys there, they did a great job in putting that together, and so a lot of, a lot of good messages were, were preached. Uh, forget now exactly how many they think listened in, but I think somewhere like 7,000 was the account that they talked about, so it's just incredible. Uh, so uh, appreciate those of you that did listen in and, and participate in that, but I didn't get anywhere near to being finished last, last week, so I want to conclude with the topic, uh, the good news matters, which gospel, which gospel, which good news that we preach uh, matters. want us to make sure we understand as we start this morning that regardless down through the ages, whenever there has been good news declared, whether it was God in the garden talking to Satan and telling him that, that, uh, that the seed of the woman was going to, to bruise his head. Uh, from that point all the way through, any time there has been good news declared, any time there has been a gospel preached, it is on the basis of Jesus Christ and his finished work. Even when uh, Abram uh, was heard the, the good news that God was going to bless all nations through his seed, the way that is going to be accomplished is through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Israel heard the good news of the kingdom to be offered and the promises, it was because of the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ. Anytime there has been good news declared, it was on the basis of who Christ is. I want us to make sure we understand that. Some people say, Pastor, just preach practical messages. Forget all the doctrinal teachings. When you preach, give us practical. Here's the problem with that. And I think it's a pretty big problem. If you only get practical, you really aren't going to understand what to apply and what not to apply in your daily living today. Without the doctrine, you're not going to understand the practical application of those doctrines. I'm going to, give, going to run down several things here in a second so that you understand why the gospel that we preach today, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel that Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, when he says, I declare unto you the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, and how you as a Gentile, by faith, can believe that he died for you, and you were made part of a body which had been kept secret since the world began, all part of that glorious good news that Paul declares as my gospel. When you think about just preaching practical, What it says is, I want to just, oh, and by the way, no one here has ever said that. No, no one here. I have heard preachers say, oh, quit, the, uh, forget the doctrine, just preach fluff. That's what the people want. And I think, not at Bible Fellowship. That's not what they want. Not here. But people that want just the practical 
basically what they're saying is just keep me on milk. Just keep me on the milk of the word. I don't, I don't want the meat. I don't want the steak. I don't want the really taste. I, I, I don't want the, the steak, the meaty part. Just keep me on the milk of the word. And when you do that, you don't really grow. So you've got to understand the doctrine. And, and that's the reason we stress that here is because I want to see you grow in Christ. I want to see you mature in Christ. And basically what doctrine means is just what we teach. Even the practical is actually doctrine. There's no such thing really when you stop and think about it. Well, here's the doctrine. Here's the practical. I mean, it's all doctrine. It's all what we teach. And so we're going to be looking at some of that today. When we talk about glad tidings, when we talk about good news, when we talk about the gospel, it is something that everybody enjoys, right? Well, you get, don't you love good news? Don't you enjoy getting good news? When Shirley called me and said that Carrie was going to be here this week. That's good news. Welcome back, Carrie. When we heard that Mary Beth was going to have a baby, do we rejoice at that good news? Absolutely. When Desiree shared with us that she's going to have a baby, that people just love good news. They love to rejoice. Everyone loves it. But I wonder sometime, why is it that man tends, in a large majority, to reject the greatest good news ever? Why? The fact that Christ died for the sins of the world, that he offers eternal life, that you're, you are dead in sin, and God offers newness of life to make you a new creation by believing. That is good news, that you can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that eternal life is yours. It's bad news that the wages of sin is death. But can you imagine? I mean, it's great news to know, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I was at Jerry Taylor's funeral yesterday. We had his funeral down in Piedmont. And I would say everyone there at the funeral were believers. Uh, I never approach a funeral as if everyone uh, is a believer. I'll make sure the gospel is preached. But I got to tell you, being at Jerry's funeral and having his two sons stand up, Greg and Joe, and, and talk about their father's faith and, and that heaven is his home, what a difference in a believer's life and at a believer's funeral. Talk about good news. He's home, safely home. That good news is wonderful to share. So why in the world does a, wor a world, a wicked world, I might add, reject it and just do not want to know that truth? Do not want to celebrate that. Turn with me, 1 Corinthians. I mean, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because our adversary, the devil, the God of this world, does something that's horrifying, that it's sad, it's traumatic, and it should cause all of us who know the Lord Jesus, who understand the power of the word and understand the power of the message. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Wow, it's powerful, the message God uses that message. We need to keep that in mind as we read this scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 
start with verse 3. But if our gospel, and Paul's already declared what his gospel is, our gospel, that's, a, that's an identifier. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You want to know why a world so readily rejects the good news of God? The good news that they can be saved and have a relationship with God is because the devil is active. Satan is active. The prince and power of the air is active. The God of this world is active, and he blinds the minds of those that believe not. Verse 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Boy, what a message we are called upon to share. The gospel is hid Satan is doing everything he can to hide the gospel from a sin-sick, lost world. We, on the other hand, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, knows, who, who know the truth, we sit around and don't take that message to a world that's so desperate to hear when we need to be. What a... What a glorious gospel we have to preach. And the reason, the reason that we as believers in this present dispensation teach and preach, the reason why St. Louis Bible Fellowship actually exists is in order to teach and to train those believers who fellowship here with what, with what God's Word says concerning what it means to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Because it's by rightly dividing the Word of Truth you're going to understand which gospel to declare. You're going to understand which gospel it is today that's just going to give Satan black eyes when you use it. You're going to understand which message is powerful and is going to be able to see hearts and lives changed. That's the gospel of the grace of God. That's the gospel that God has called on us to, to preach to a lost world. So that's the reason we emphasize rightly dividing the word of truth so we know which gospel to share we want you to be the very best Bible student you can be. We want you to be able to handle the Word of God. We want you to understand that from Genesis to Revelation, it is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That all Scripture starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. For all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It means it is God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture... We're not to neglect any of it. But as we study, we are told in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study to show thyself approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, that just means properly handling. No, it means to slice with precision. It means to understand where to cut, where to divide. We need to understand that all Scripture, the entire Bible is for us. We are to study every aspect of it. I am called to preach from every part of it. 
But listen, church, body of Christ, while it is all for us, it's not all to us. It's not all to us. Not every part are we to act upon and carry out. We are to believe, we are to understand that it is God's Word. And I'm going to give you some examples of that in just a second. But I, I, let me say this about that real quick. Look at Psalm uh, 31. Remember last week when we read Terry Dukes' uh, psalm, uh, her favorite scripture? Because a lot of people have shared their, oh, I forgot the favorite scripture today. I'm just too excited about preaching this, I guess. But remember when Terry shared with hers last week, uh, Psalm 31, 1 through 3, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. That's the Word of God. We are to be blessed by it. We are to read it. We are to know it's true. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thy ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock. For a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Woo! We can preach that. We can teach that. We can embrace that. That is the Word of God. When this was written, where was the church, the body of Christ? Hidden in the mind and heart of God. Who was this written to? The nation of Israel. God's peculiar people. We've got to keep that clear as we go through and we study God's Word. Look at uh, Psalm 29 too. I'm going to send you too far. Psalm 29 too. Given to the Lord the glory due unto His name. Are we to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Folks, that's the Word of God. We embrace that. We love that. Uh, Isaiah 40. Look at Isaiah 40. This, this is actually a verse that's been used quite often as people's favorite verse, and rightfully so. I love this verse. It is the Word of God. There are things that this is teaching that we can apply, that we can embrace, that we can, we can hold on to as the church, the body of Christ. Because what it's doing is it's telling us about the attributes and the character of God. And as we study from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible tells us things about God that we would not know any other way. Perhaps there are pastors, perhaps there are men out there that says, well, you only can preach from the Pauline epistles. You can only preach from Romans through Philemon. Is that true? Let me give you a hint. No, that's not true at all. This church definitely does not believe that. But Isaiah 40, verse 34. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Wow, that's powerful. Is that God's word? Does it speak to us? Absolutely. It is for us. Let me share one, though. As you're a Bible student, and, and I'm just going to go to one, and there are so many, and that's why you need to be a Berean, you need to be astute, you need to study, so that when you search the Scriptures, you recognize things that apply to the nation of Israel concerning the kingdom and the promises, and you can separate those things that, that are glorious, that, that we can apply as members of the church, the body of Christ, because know this. I was going to get into this later, but this is a good time to say it. Church, body of Christ, you are not spiritual Israel. Do I need to say that again? You are not spiritual Israel. Christ did not come to Israel 
and offer to save them, but yet they rejected them, and God didn't go, oops, I made a mistake. I, I, they didn't believe, well, I gotta, what am I going to do now? That never entered the mind of God. What God has promised Israel, His plan for Israel, the promises, they are going to be carried out. What you are, church, body of Christ, made up of believing Jew and believing Gentile, are trophies of His grace. That when Israel rejected and Israel said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And the next item on the prophetic agenda was the tribulation. And God's word says God's going to use the tribulation to draw Israel back to himself. He's going to cause Israel to love him just like they loved him when they came out of the wilderness. They're going to return to their first love. But what you are is something that God had in mind from before the foundation of the world, that he was going to declare to all creation just how much he loves mankind by offering salvation by grace. And we'll get in that in just a second. But look, um, well, the one I was going to mention, look at Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah. 29. I hear this one all the time. Matter of fact, years and years ago, we had a lady that stopped going to our church here because this was her favorite verse, and she heard a similar sermon, and I mentioned this verse uh, was to the Jews in exile. Uh, it was Jeremiah explaining what was going on, and this was her verse. She said, no, this verse was to me, and and so she got really upset, and uh, she hasn't been back since. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And I've heard a lot of people talk about this being their favorite verse, and it's a glorious verse. But to show you how th this was, it was the first letter to those in exile. Uh, Jeremiah 29.1 Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried to Babylon. And it's an explanation for them to encourage them. An explanation as to what's happened. It's an explanation of God's plan and purpose. Verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. What I've promised, it's going to happen. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. It tells us who he's writing to here. Now, is this the word of God? Absolutely. Is it precious? Absolutely. And does God know the thoughts? Yeah, he, he knows those. But that's what I mean when I talk about rightly divide the word of truth and understand what is for us, what is to us, that is a blessing. And there are so many other scriptures that are similar to that, that as we study, as we be the Bereans, we're going to see what do we apply, what do we not apply. See, that's the reason we want you to rightly divide the word of truth. I want you to be the best Bible students you can be and take God's word serious. I, frankly, I don't understand people that don't take God's Word seriously. You know? He's written this to us for us to know who He is. You understand that if God didn't take the initiative both to communicate with us, to explain who He is, to explain where we came from, how we got here, 
and how much he loves us and what measures he took in order to draw in order to draw us to himself we wouldn't know anything about him we'd be like so many other heathen and pagans that would hear thunder and go ooh i wonder what power's doing that we'd be worshiping the rain and we'd come up with gods that cause it to rain and which God makes it cold. We don't like him very much. I mean, if that's how we were, but we understand, and we even have the promise of God that as long as time endures, there are going to be seasons. It's going to be the winter. There's going to be the summer. There's going to be the fall. There's going to be the spring. That's just the way God operates. You can't be the Bible student that God has called each and every one of us to be if we don't rightly divide. You don't know what to apply. You don't know what to do. Let me give you some examples. If you don't rightly divide the word of truth, I would like for each one of you, when you go home tonight, or to, oh, I'm not going to keep it that long, when you go home a little bit later on, to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Is that what God tells us to do? Look, look, at, look at Luke 12. Look at Luke 12. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Look at Luke 12. Verse 33. This is the little flock that he's talking to. Luke 12, 33. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old and treasures in the heavens that fail not, where no thief approach and neither moth corrupt. But sell what you have and give alms. Do you want to go home and sell what you have? Those are your marching orders. It's what God tells us to do. Christ told the apostles to obey those in Moses' seat. What did those in Moses' seat give out? What did they preach? The law. The law. He, Christ tells them, the, the apostles, don't behave, don't act like them, but obey them. Whatever they tell you to do, those that sit in Moses' seat, that you do. Do we keep the law? No. As a matter of fact, we know from Scripture that we're not under the law. We're under grace. There are so many important distinctions Look at Mark. Just trying to, do I want to go? Yeah, we'll go here. Look at Mark 16. Well, so with verse 15. And he talking about, yeah, Mark, Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, talking the Lord Jesus to the disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you go to Matthew, remember that's preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. That's from the Lord Jesus himself. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Was baptism required under the gospel of the kingdom? Absolutely. And see, you'd miss that if you didn't rightly divide the word and you'd be preaching baptismal regeneration. You'd be preaching the wrong gospel. But it, it even gets worse here. Verse 18. And folks, I don't rec recommend you put this to the test. I don't recommend that you go home and say, Lord, I challenge you and this is what I'm going to do to show you how much faith I have. Verse 18, they shall take up serpents. Don't do that. Don't do that. Folks, i got to tell you, I don't care how much faith you have, you go grab and kiss a rattlesnake, <laughs> you're going to regret it. And if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. 
Aren't you glad this was for the nation Israel under the kingdom program? I know I am. Because that's exactly the authority that the apostles had as they went out to teach and preach as Christ prepared them for the tribulation period. There are some definite things that you recognize when you rightly divide the word of truth and you understand what is for you and what is to you. What is not to you is for you to go and kiss a snake and drink some strychnine. That's not to you, church, body of Christ. Matter of fact, not only would that be stupid, But what honors God today is simple faith. Do you understand the importance of just demonstrating, Lord, I don't need to be able to kiss a snake and survive to know that you are over me. I don't need to be able to drink poison of any kind and know that, that you're in charge. By faith, I believe that Christ died for me, was buried, and rose again. The good news of the kingdom is they are going to be able to do all those things and survive. People are going to see it. They're going to understand that these are signs of the Messiah, and they're going to believe. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, means so much more than just handling properly. It means to slice, to cut with precision. And somebody says, oh, well, that's Old and New Testament. We got it. We got Somebody did that for us. You want to see my Bible? Here's Old Testament, New Testament. First of all, you need to understand that that distinction, that division did not take place until almost the 3rd century. Almost 300 years after Paul said, rightly divide the word of truth. So that couldn't possibly be what he was talking about when he said that. So when we rightly divide the word of truth, we, being Bereans, we understand that it's not just that division, but there is a a division of precision where we understand that there is prophecy that had to do with God's prophetic program to Israel and His promises to Israel, His relationship that concerned the nation of Israel. And we are not the nation of Israel. To me, that's the key to understanding this. We are not spiritual Israel. That as you rightly divide, you make sure you place what pertains to Israel in that program in its appropriate place so that you're not claiming things that don't apply to you. You're not practicing things that do not apply to you. There is that right division where you understand those prophecies that concern the nation of Israel. From that word, that, that special revelation that was given to Saul of Tarsus, the apostle to the Gentiles, that special revelation that was a mystery that opened the door by grace to the Gentiles that not only opened the door to the Gentiles, because Gentiles were to be saved either, even under Israel's. You understand that, right? The Gentiles, Israel was to be a light unto the Gentiles. The Gentiles were to be saved even under the kingdom program. But what did they have to do to be saved under the kingdom program? Be baptized, circumcised, and obey the law. All of that was part of the kingdom program. What do we need to do in order to be saved today? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And you study the Old Testament. Maybe we ought to do this one of these days and talk about, show the fact that Israel's, the, the promise of the land, the promise of God was unconditional. It's, was, it's going to happen. The promises he made is going to happen. But his relationship to the Jews 
and to people as individual, it was conditional. It was conditional. You do this, I will do this. Do you realize today in the position you have before God is there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Israel's relationship with God was not secure. There were certain things required. Your relationship is secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Under Israel, there was water baptism, as Janet said. There was water baptism that was required in order to identify as that nation of priests. That was the whole purpose of the priests coming and being ceremonial cleansed. It was a picture of what God's going to do for the entire nation during the millennial kingdom as they are a nation of priests and they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom during that time. The baptism that we have, do we believe in baptism? Absolutely. Do we believe, do we believe in water baptism? Yeah, for the nation of Israel. But it is not for the church, the body of Christ. God's word is very clear. In Ephesians 4, it talks about the one baptism. The one baptism. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us what that one baptism is. That's the spirit baptism. The moment a person believes, they are baptized into the body of Christ, sealed into the day of redemption. That's, that's, God's, that's God's plan for this present dispensation. And I know we talk about dispensations a lot. We talk about dispensations a lot. Maybe one of these days we'll, we'll go over the many dispensations. But the, the Bible talks about, uh, as the way it's divided up, uh, there's the, the dispensation of innocence and how God dealt with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. He, he had that perfect relationship with God, Adam did. So, And the word dispensation, just to make it quick and easy, it has to do with dispensing, how God's grace is dispensed, how God dealt with man down through the ages. This, to me, is the most simple way of understanding that. So when we talk about the dispensation of the grace of God that the Scripture talks about, it's talking about how God deals with man. In the garden, how did he deal with Adam? He dealt with him in innocence. After Adam fell and he was kicked out of the garden, did God deal with Adam differently than he did before the fall? Yes, he did. You believe that? Then you're a dispensationalist. Congratulations. And then God dealt with them, man, in innocence, I mean, in, in conscience. There was, there was no law. God spoke to them. There was, there was uh, Enoch and, and so many uh, that were, were preaching during that time. God dealt with man in conscience. There was no law. He dealt with him one-on-one. -on -one. Then there was the dispensation of promise as God called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees, and he dealt with man in promise. Then law, and there's going to be the kingdom, but right now we're in the time, and, and dispensation doesn't necessarily have to do with time, but time is an element of it, but it has to do with how God's dealing with mankind. And we're in that dispensation of the grace of God. That's how God is dealing with us in this period today. So it's not Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, the blessings that were to go to Israel, the relationship they had with God. As a matter of fact, Israel is considered the wife of God. We're considered the body of Christ. What a, what a difference. You, you study you know, Moses and the prophets and, and John the Baptist and the apostles and even Christ Jesus himself and what he taught. It all has to do with Israel and, and God's dealings with Israel, all of the Old Testament, all of the Gospels. When you study that, Christ said, I came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He sent the apostles out saying, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Can anything be more apparent in our study? But I'm telling you, tradition has just sucked the life out of truth in so many churches today. Because they, they read those things, it's there, but evidently their eyes just glaze over and they don't, they don't get that. Whether it's the Old Testament prophets talking about the kingdom being prophesied, then during the Gospels, Christ preaching the kingdom is at hand, then the kingdom with the apostles in the early part of Acts, the kingdom offered, now the kingdom is in obeyance. It's in obeyance. It's postponed. It's put off. Why? Because we have the truth of the church, the body of Christ, this mystery. And as soon as this present dispensation of grace is over and God calls the church home, I mean, that's why we talk about the rapture. That's why we get excited about the rapture. Guess what God's going to start or who God's going to start dealing with again? The nation of Israel. All those promises. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans 11, that God's promises are without repentance. What he told Israel he's going to do, he hasn't forgotten them. He's going to work with them and through them and all of those promises, including the tribulation, by the way, is going to happen again. Major distinctions. Last week, and the reason I wanted to do part two is because we didn't have a chance to go through all those scriptures that talk about the good news of the kingdom. And I have them all written down, and we were going to do that today. We're almost out of time again. But let's look at a few. Go to Isaiah. Just all of these, this is all good news. And what does gospel mean? It means good news. See, that's why this, this is all so important. Look at Isaiah 51. Under the kingdom program, you're Jewish. During this period of time, you've been hoping the Messiah was going to come, the promised Messiah, to deliver you. Isaiah 51, verse 11. Isaiah tells Israel... All you have to do is go up and look in the contacts, and it's Israel, Judah, Jerusalem. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return, and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. It's God's word, but that's good news concerning the kingdom and what God has planned and what God is going to do. He is absolutely truthful in his word. Look at Isaiah 65. I have a lot more, but we're not going to have time to get into all those. But look at Isaiah 65. Start with verse 18. Be ye glad and rejoice. Be ye glad and rejoice forever for that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. A rejoicing in her people, a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, in joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. Talking about the kingdom. All this is good news under the kingdom program. One more. Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah 31. We use this one so much we probably ought to have it memorized. But you're Jewish. You're hoping for the Messiah. You can't wait for the Messiah Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and be their God, and they shall be my people. He's not talking to the church, the body of Christ. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the promises to the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 23. Folks, there's so many others. As a matter of fact, just in Isaiah, Jeremiah, any of the prophets, here's what I suggest you do. You take it and you open it and then you read it. (laughs) Try that. Because it's talking about Israel Go to the Pauline epistles, Romans through Philemon. It's talking about you and your marching orders, unless it's describing something that God is wanting those believing Jews and Gentiles to know about what happened to the program with Israel, but he is going to take it back up. Israel rejected. Oh, no. Israel rejected their Messiah. But God had a plan. God had a purpose. And part of the tribulation with Israel's rejecting, God knew Israel was going to reject. He's sovereign. He knew Israel was going to reject. He was going to use that rejection to usher in the tribulation. Uh, Joel chapter 2 talks about the tribulation. Uh, Ezekiel 20 talks about what God was going to do during that tribulation. It's it's there. And Hosea talks about uh, how God has told uh, Hosea to to marry a harlot because that is is just like Israel to God and Israel's behavior and unfaithful. And it describes that. But then Hosea 2 talks about how God says, but I'm going to woo Israel back. I'm going to woo back. And he talks about where it's going to happen in the wilderness during the tribulation when he safely protects Israel. All of that is there for us to study and to understand. So the tribulation is part of God's demonstration of I love Israel and I'm going to woo her back to myself. Even in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's preaching, And he tells them that what's going on there is this is not the beginning of the church. This is, it was the empowering of the Holy Spirit, but this was not, where the problems come is when people try to start the church, the body of Christ in Acts Acts 2, when it has everything to do with God's prophetic promises to the nation of Israel. And even Peter says when they say they're drunk, when they're speaking in tongues and doing all they're doing. And Peter says, these guys aren't drunk. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What was the beginning there was the beginning of the tribulation. Go back to Joel chapter 2. Start with verse 38 and read. I mean, it's just, that's what Joel um, quotes at that point. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, when he's preaching to you men of Israel, you men of Judea, he's talking to the Jews, you know, he, he, Peter never says we glory in the cross. Peter never says we boast in the cross. He never presented the cross in that early ministry as something we glory in. He never presented it as something that was good news. He presented it as something you need to repent of. You crucified him. And not only did you crucify him, He's alive. And they were shaken. And they said, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized. It was not, hey, don't worry about it. I got good news for you. He went to the cross and he died. And all you've got to do is believe. And you're, that was different good news. It was a, under a different program. And in order to be the Berean, you've got to approach the Scripture from that standpoint. As a matter of fact, he told 
bells on the day of Pentecost that God the Father told God the Son, you sit here on my right side until I make your enemies my footstool. You sit here speaking to Christ. And when it's time for you to get up and return, and that's when you're going to make your enemies footstool. Boy, in Acts chapter 7, all of a sudden you have Stephen just reading the religious leaders, the riot act. And they stone him because it makes them, the religious leaders, so mad and angry. And Stephen looks up and he sees what? Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. He had been seated. Sit here until I make your enemies thy footstool. Then he's standing. Everywhere in the scripture, every single scripture, when it refers to the Lord standing, it is always, always in judgment. And according to the prophetic scripture, the next thing on the agenda was the tribulation and God's judgment. But what fell, and here's your good news, what fell was not God's wrath, it was God saving the chief of sinners, the very one leading the rebellion. God in His mercy and His kindness and His grace saved the chief of sinners and gave Him a special revelation that includes you and your salvation. Don't tell me there's not a difference in the good news that we are to proclaim, proclaim, because there actually, absolutely, absolutely is. And the salvation that God offers you today is not conditional. It is absolutely secure. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for your word, and we thank you for just this time that we can come together and be able to preach it. Father, may you bless it. Father, I come recognizing my limitations, my inabilities. But Father, I thank you for your promise of your word that it will not return into you void. And Father, we love you. We trust you. We praise your name for that amazing grace, how sweet that sounds. It saved a wretch like each and every one of us. And we thank you, Father, that you looked beyond our faults and you saw our need and you met that need through the blood that flowed from Calvary's mount. We thank you that we worship a risen Savior who is alive today. And Father, pray your watch care as we Go to our separate homes. Pray for this week. Help us to be the ambassadors, the ministers that you would have each and every one of us to be. And we pray all these things in that name that every knee is going to bow to and every tongue is going to confess to. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all.